You're listening to the really useful podcast, the tech podcast for technophobes. My name's Christian Corley, and with me this week is James Frew. Hi, James. How are you doing? Hey, Christian. Yeah, yeah, I'm all good. How are things with you? Yeah, not bad. I've just had to um, head outdoors, which doesn't happen often these days, into town, and it's raining. But um, such is life in the UK. <laughs> yeah, I've found the same as well. Woke up, it was nice and beautiful and sunny. Drew the blinds. Oh, it's grey and cloudy already. Oh, no. Do you know, I have a really bad habit. When people say woke up or woke up this morning, I just like have like the, the I have to suppress the urge to go. Dun, 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 dun. Um, that, <laughs> that basically just happened when you were talking there. So <laughs> you need a sound effect for that. I definitely do. Uh, <laughs> I've got this one. But uh, and regular listeners will have heard that one a few times and uh, yeah, a few others. But uh, yeah, you're probably right. I do need that as a sound effect. And but then again, that maybe just becomes very indulgent over this Mayono Caster mixing desk. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, but it's an impressive little tool for podcasting. If anyone's interested in uh, this, it's uh, basically something we introduced in the most recent run of the release for podcast. It was a Kickstarter project that uh, came to fruition in August September time, and there's a review of it on Make Use of, so you can check that out and find out a little bit more about it. I'm very pleased with it though. So. It's worth considering if you're into podcasting. Now, in this week's really useful podcast, we're taking a look at the topic of sort of online shopping with safety. Um, learning how to buy online safely, securely, and confidently, and uh, finding the right places to research products without being diverted by those all important in the negative way because they're becoming increasingly prevalent uh, fake reviews. Um, maybe we should start with fake reviews, actually, James, because this, this is a mm-hmm. growing problem, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, you can see how it happens. So when you shop in a store, you might otherwise talk to a sales assistant who gives you advice on what products to buy. You might hear from friends or family that also have it and you get advice in that kind of way. But when you're shopping online, you don't really have that personal connection to people. So you're very much reliant on reviews. And throughout 2020, we've become quite reliant on online shopping as well. So you've got more people online having to trust reviews. So there's definitely an incentive to manipulate these reviews so that they seem more positive or in otherwise misguide you to the positivity of the reviews. So that would be things like, I mean, the first thing people think of when reviews is places like Amazon, but there are also review aggregators that can be manipulated by the companies that have their reviews on there. So um, I wish I could remember the name of the one that I'm thinking of, but there's a review tool that when you purchase something, you then get an email about a week later saying, would you love love to um, give your feedback on this product? And it's a third party service. So they pay for the objectivity of a third party service. But when you list it on there, if you then go to the company's page, the company can decide whether to show negative reviews or not. So the review is there somewhere, but it's a very misguided view of it when you go to the website itself. So there's a couple of different ways that um, the reviews can be gamed, as well as just explicitly fake, as in not real made up reviews, but they can also be 
um, manipulated to make you think a certain thing or to hide certain evidence from you. Okay. Is there a kind of is is there a farm of people submitting fake reviews for products? Um, in some instances, yes, there are people paid to write fake reviews, but you won't find that on the majority of the big sites. Instead, what happens is a very confusing mix of incentives and technical ways to manipulate the reviews. So for instance, on Amazon, um, you can be sent a product to review. And we have this all the time as, as professional reviewers, that it can, that kind of, it's almost being paid to have the review, right? You get to yeah. keep the product. So you are probably more likely to leave a positive review. And so that's not explicitly telling you you have to leave a positive review, but it's going to guide the review in a more positive direction than would have otherwise been the case. So someone might get a product and, you know, if they purchased it, they might go, oh, well, that was $250. I don't think it's worth that. So I'll give it a three stars. But if you get it for free, you'll go, well, I know it had a few flaws, but, you know, actually it was really good value because it was free to me. So I'm going to rate it four or five. Yeah. So those are quite common ones. Um, Amazon has a reviewer program. Uh, I think it's called Vine, which is confusing because it is not the same as Vine, the you know the video sharing app that Twitter bought yeah. a few years ago. Sure. So it shares a name, but it is entirely separate. The Vine reviewer program is basically you sign up to it, you get products in advance of their release or sometimes just around the release, and then you get asked to rate, have reviews of them. So you get a free product and you get to review it on Amazon. Then there are other ones where you can have verified purchase. So this is, again, explicitly on Amazon. So a verified purchase is meant to make it easy for you to spot reviews that have actually come from people who have known to have purchased the product. Because there used to be the case where you could go log onto a website and you could say, oh, well, yeah, I have this product, so I'll review it. You may not have bought it through Amazon. You may have bought it somewhere else. You may have been handed it. It may be you're writing up somebody else's experience of it but you get to put it onto the site. Now they haven't taken that away, but they have tried to make it more clear when people have actually purchased the product from Amazon themselves. So it will say verified purchase next to it. But we actually have an article on the site that talks about um, how to spot fake reviews on Amazon. Yeah. And one of the ways that they do this is to start manipulating the verified purchase tag. So a manufacturer can buy the products themselves so say i'm company x i can buy all of my own products on amazon and then ship them out to people and that means that still allows them to apply the verified purchase tag oh. which is a bit misleading yeah um so it's not always easy to just blindly then trust the verified purchase tag so instead what is usually a good way to do things is to find websites that uncover these fake reviews so we list two in this article. One is called Fake Spot, yep. and the other one is called Review Meta. But they both basically do the same thing. They try and look for, they use an algorithm that looks for keywords or certain types of writing or generic reviews and will strip them out of the actual reviews and ratings from Amazon. So you get the original rating as it's listed on Amazon, and then you get an adjusted rating, which will show a new star rating and a new a reduced set of reviews that they think can be trusted. That's not perfect, obviously, and it will slip in, you know, it will factor out some reviews that are genuine, but have been mistakenly analyzed as being fake. However, it does give you a much more reliable impression 
of the reviews on the site. Is there a way? When I'm reading reviews, I usually go for, I rarely look at a four or five star. I usually go for the threes. I know look at the ones because I want to see what's hired someone so much that they only give it a one star review. And typically, I kind of do this out of habit now. Typically, it's because it was late or, mm-hmm. or something, or the box was broken or something like that. Um, but is there a way to, for, for us as buyers, to, to leave more reliable reviews? Is, is there any, anything that should be in a review, do you think, that helps people? rather than, you know, to make up the mind? Well, I think that one of the hallmarks of fake reviews is usually that they're quite generic. So just say good item, which is not very helpful, but does contribute to this overall rating. So you can't really determine much from that. Is it a good item? What was it good for? How did people use it? Did it last a long time? Those are things you don't get from that kind of fairly generic and short review. If you wanted to write a review, it is obviously more effort for you and you don't really get anything for this, except for, you know, you're you're helping other people make purchasing decisions. But you could arrange it into a short summary. So you could have like one or two sentences saying, this was a really great product. I used it for this purpose and I thought that it did this well. And then you could have pros and cons. And then that helps people see like, oh, actually it was good for this thing, but they said, oh, it breaks after six months or the keys get sticky or whatever it is. I think having a, it doesn't take that much longer and it helps you sort of even sort out your thoughts into something a bit more structured. And it's quick for people to then browse over, but it has enough detail to seem genuine. And if you add the kind of information like, oh, I used it for a while and I found that, you know, the audio quality wasn't as good after a few months, then that helps people make a decision on, oh, okay, well, it was good but not in the long term. So maybe I'll look elsewhere at something. Okay. Um, there is one other thing that happens online with um, games and with media, basically, things that haven't been released. People put reviews, particularly on Amazon. I don't know if this still happens, but it used to be quite frustrating. People put a review of a product, like a game or a TV show or a movie or a TV show box set, whatever, mm. or, or the reviewing movie or whatever, the series um, or, mm. or the movie or whatever, without... Given any consideration for the actual contents of the package, but like yeah, extras yeah. or pack- special packaging, like, uh, metal cases, that those kind of things. Does that still happen? It does. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's not really a way to prevent people from doing that. Um, there are sort of two ways that people that there are two issues with reviewing content. So there's sometimes I think you alluded to that people review things before they've even come out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we've seen that in some big movie releases where um, Rotten Tomatoes and places like that were review bombed. So that's where people, based on an assumption they had about the movie or having seen the trailer, would then go and give it a negative review because of something they have perceived it to be. So they haven't seen it, but they have decided already that they have made up their mind that it's not going to be good. So therefore, they've gone and rated it before it's come out. Those movie review websites have taken steps to try and reduce that. Um, But in terms of the other thing, which is you've got a product on Amazon to say it's, I don't know, the James Bond collection. So the James Bond Blu-ray collection may come in a nice steel case. It may have loads of extras. It may have a behind the scenes book. It may have all of this stuff. But you might end up with people just saying, oh, I didn't like the James Bond movies. And it gives you a misguided impression of what the product is because 
you're not really interested necessarily in whether the movies are good because you've probably already made up your mind that you want to see them but it's about distinguishing between the James Bond DVD collection that came out in 2008 or the James Bond Blu-ray collection that came out in 2020 for example those are just made up dates I don't actually know when those came out <laughs> okay um but yeah it's important to Amazon has a incentive to make you think that a product is good when you land on the page because ultimately they want you to buy things yeah so if you were to land on a page and there was a bunch of negative reviews it wouldn't look good and you probably wouldn't buy it so it's worth considering why they put the star rating at the top but not all the reviews and the reviews are way down at the bottom of the page and you have to click through to get to them and when you do get to them they're always sorted in like the most positive first very rarely do you see a negative review highlighted so it's worth if you get to a product that you've not had experience with or you don't have any information on before and you go oh that's a good star rating take the time to then go and read some of the reviews don't just take it as you know fact that that is a positive review because there could be all sorts of other stuff going on it could be that people have left reviews left ratings without writing a review which is also an indicator of potentially some kind of manipulation because it's very quick to just get something a star rating rather than writing a proper review. Um, and also, as, as you said, Christian, it's worth taking a look at the negative reviews. Positive reviews are great and sometimes you can get good information from them. But if you've already decided that this sounds like a good product, all that will do is reinforce what you've already thought. What you yeah. want is the opposing viewpoint, which is people saying this was bad, don't buy it. Now, there will be people that have written stuff like the delivery was late or you didn't deliver my package or something like that, which skews the rating, which is why it's important to read the reviews as well. Um, but I would just I normally check the three star and two star reviews. Unlike you, I don't actually read the one star because I feel like people are quite polarized. Either they give a five star because they love it or they give a one star because they really hated something. And I find those two views less useful. But, you know, it's up to you to make up your own mind on which things you value. But certainly read the negative reviews because it'll give you an impression of whether the product is worth it. Now, sometimes when I'm looking on Amazon for a product, I will scroll down and look at the reviews and it will seem that the reviews are actually referencing a different product from the same mm -hmm. manufacturer. Yeah. Now, I've actually looked into this before and on the spot i can't remember exactly the mechanism for how this works okay but there is something to do with old products can then be claimed by manufacturers and merged into a new product so they might say i released product model one and i now have product model 1a please let me merge those two and so it merges and then over time they change it from model 1a to model c so it's a completely different product right um, I believe it's something along those kind of lines. Okay. And there's also something which I wish I could remember. Maybe after the show, I'll try and find where I read about this. But there's something about old products from sellers that are no longer on Amazon can be claimed by current sellers. Wow. And that's how you sometimes end up with things that just totally mismatch as well. Right. That's not good. It's no. not useful for the for the buyer, is it really? Ultimately, no, but it's very good for the seller. Yeah, I can and uh, and for Amazon. So, um, 
it's worth always keeping in mind when you're looking on these sites that Amazon has some great value products, sells probably the biggest range of anywhere on the planet, but they're not necessarily interested in your experience of the product. They just want to sell it to you. They're not in, they know that they will get enough repeat custom because they have really good customer service. They have very good delivery. They have such a huge range. They know that if you have one bad experience, you'll probably still come back to shop on Amazon anyway. Um, So there's no real incentive for them to make sure that you have a good experience every single time. What they want to be able to do is make sure that if you have a bad experience, they'll resolve it quickly, but that still doesn't change the fact that you could end up with a product that isn't up to the standard that you would want because it's not in their interest to do that. Sure. Okay. Now, once you've um, made your decision based on the reviews and however you've determined it, um, you probably go ahead and make a purchase. Now, this isn't just about Amazon. This is any website. There are sites that are big sites, big name sites that, have reputable sellers on them but they're also sites big name reputable sites that have some not so good sellers on them um two i i mean there have been a few problems with amazon but i think they're very minimal compared to the issues that people have had with sites like ebay and uh, aliexpress um i'm not sure how long-term popularity of aliexpress in europe and north america might pan out under the current circumstances mm-hmm. um and but there are various things that you can do there are, um for instance if you're buying from aliexpress we'll move on to ebay in a minute if you're buying from aliexpress there are buyer protections that you can use um, there's a pro um a dispute resolution process you can follow and um, there's a way to find reputable sellers through their feedback page you can check seller guarantees and um you can just use um Use your, um, what's the best phrase is? Your head, mm. your nose, whatever you want to call it. The old grey matter to avoid fraud and just, just gut feeling whether something's accurate and reliable and truthful or not. I think one of the problems with um, a site like AliExpress is the sheer distances involved might... Mm. Uh, I, I, there's more chance of me getting something from uh, York or Newcastle than there is like reliably than there is for me and getting something from Beijing uh, because mm-hmm. the distances involved in the transport infrastructure and the whole logistics of that and various other things that are going on around the world regardless of whether there's a pandemic maybe there's a, a, a shipping issue it seems to be constantly shipping issues at the moment um so you know th- those things come into it as well so I think if you're going to go with a a, a a seller on AliExpress, you need to be aware of the fact that there are a lot of issues that r- regularly are overcome, but there there is a risk to that, isn't there? There's an inherent risk to buying over yeah. that distance. Yeah, particularly because a lot of the stuff that's sold on Ali or a lot of the things that people go to AliExpress for are usually small products, so they're components or small yeah. bits of headphones or electronics things, and they're tiny packages. You know, if you were buying an enormous computer, it's unlikely to go missing because it's a huge box. But if you buy a tiny little package, Mm -hmm. there's quite a good chance that somehow at some point in that very long supply chain, it will go missing. And part of that is probably Ali's responsibility. But equally, it's just part of the nature of worldwide shipping. Um, 
because a lot of the when you buy a product from Amazon, the sh- a lot of the background supply chain has already been done and taken care of. And then Amazon gets it sort of near you, and then it goes through regular post or whatever it is to get that last bit of distance. But with AliExpress, what it's actually doing is doing most of the distribution after you've already bought it. Because a lot of electronics are made in China anyway. Um, so let's say you have bought want to buy something on Amazon. Well, it's probably been made in China, then shipped to the company somewhere else in the world. And then the company has shipped it out from their warehouse over to Amazon's. Yeah. And Amazon gets it local to you. So it'll be within your country, probably within your region-ish. But with AliExpress, you're buying directly from China. So there's all those other steps that need to happen in order for it to get to you, uh, which have already been taken care of usually by the time you buy something from other sites. So it is more likely that there's going to be issues and errors. And it's frustrating because you've already paid your money out. Uh, And I think that's the big difference is that if something goes missing in the regular supply chain, you wouldn't know. And it doesn't matter to you because you're not waiting for it and you haven't paid for it. Uh, But where where it goes missing after you've already bought it, it's obviously an incredible irritant. And then it's not helped by the fact that AliExpress is located very far away in a completely different region, in a completely different country with different rules and regulations and a different approach to customer service. So if you try and get in touch with them, it's not always as simple as it could be. Um, for all Amazon's faults, Amazon's customer service is usually exemplary. You know, if you have a d- delivery issue, you message them. They go, okay, we've dealt with it. Yep. Or we've sent you out another product or we are adding credit to your Prime account or whatever it is. They will just deal with it. Yeah. Um, and that's usually one of the best things about buying with Amazon is they offer just such good um, post-sales service. Um, And I think that's the thing that people find irritating about Ali is that it's just not the same. It offers a very similar experience, you know, purchasing wise to Amazon. And it's usually a lot cheaper. But the customer service after you've already bought something is just not quite as good. Yeah, it is great, Amazon. I've had I've very rarely had issues with products, but I have had um, issues with drivers. Mm. Um, There was one, for instance, who... um, we weren't in, so they hopped over the fence and hammered on the neighbor's door. My neighbor's like in his seventies, so that that is terrible. Yeah, That's completely a... unacceptable. Um, yeah. So what happened? They um, sent us a gift certificate, um, which I bought a small gift for my neighbor with. Yeah. So and that happened within like an hour. That was sorted out. So, but uh, yeah, delivery drivers can be a bit of a uh, law unto themselves, unfortunately, but. Amazon react really quickly to that. I'm. I wonder. In fact, I'm just going to do this. This is a more serious matter now. I wonder, James, have you ever been um, caught by an online scam? Um, not directly. I nearly was. Um, yeah. and it was actually, which brings us neatly onto the next thing. Really, it was on eBay. Okay. So, I was trying to sell. I think it was um, a very old mixer, like a, a audio mixer, on eBay, probably around 2015, something like that. And um, the there were two different scams that ended up happening. The first was before the purchase. Someone messaged me trying to get me to take the transaction off of eBay oh. and to give them it for a lower price, which is obviously something you should never do no. because there is no legitimate reason why anyone should need 
to take bank account details from you, to take credit card details. If there is another user on eBay asking you for that, you literally never need to give it. Um, so that was obviously a, a warning. So I reported that user to eBay. But then after all of that, I then sold the product, shipped it off. I wrapped it up carefully. I took pictures of it all, all perfect. Then when it reached them, there were two knobs that had fallen off. Right. Now, I was confident that I'd packaged it per properly. And the photo that they sent of these damaged knobs looked like they'd yanked them off. It didn't look like damage that could happen in transit. It looked yep. like you've received it and then purposefully damaged it. Uh -huh. So they reported it to eBay and said, I should refund the entire cost of the product, which obviously I was not that happy with. No. Um, and I know that this could come across, you know, it's a subjective thing because what I'm saying is they were wrong and I was right. Um, but it felt very much like a scam. It felt like they wanted to get the money back for it, maybe because they'd regretted purchasing it or because it wasn't quite what they were after. Yeah. But for whatever reason, it didn't feel legitimate. Um, so I, I disputed that. But in the meantime, the money was then frozen in my PayPal account, so I couldn't access it or do anything with it. And even though the matter was resolved after I think it was three weeks and eBay took it to a dispute resolution and said that I should refund, I think it was 10 or 20% of the product, something like that. But PayPal refused to allow me access to that money for another three months. Oh, yeah. Which I, and the unlike Amazon, PayPal's customer service is basically nil, and you cannot get in touch with them. No. So they just trap your money, and then you just have to <laughs> wait and pray That's that terrible. at some point the company will release it. That's really really bad. Good lord. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are worse things to happen, but it put me off using eBay because the experience of selling that particular product was just not good. No. Um, so since, to, like, if I have secondhand items I want to sell now, I'll use something like Depop, which I can't say enough nice things about. It's been very good. It's really easy to use. There's no, never been any scams. It's much simpler, much easier. Um, so it doesn't have quite the range and it is more fashion focused, but on the whole i'd always recommend checking depop first before defaulting to ebay even though ebay is the better known okay um we'll include a link to that in the show notes of course um i am at the moment i'm kind of tackling ebay scams because i'm trying to sell something and i keep getting purchases in quotes from mm -hmm. uh buyers with um no experience on the site at all uh no no uh, you know they've got a zero after the name so they're obviously trying to scam me, and none of them pay. So I just I leave it for mm. three days. Wait for them to pay, then I relist it, and it's a real pain in the back tight because it's a nice piece of kit that I'm trying to sell, and I want someone to buy. It. Yeah. Um. But going back many years, my wife and I got married in 2005. So in 2000, and... early 2005 or late 2004, my wife had a piece of jewelry that she wanted to sell to put towards the wedding and we sold it or so we thought on ebay and basically what happened is a little bit like what you described earlier they tried to take it offline um, away from ebay and uh to exchange um funds via an escrow site but it was a fake escrow site and this is basically what got me mm. into the whole um 
online security and scams it, it, it blew my mind that the lens people would go to for essentially 500 pounds um the ring it was worth a lot more than that we saw the 500 pounds we lost the 500 pounds we lost the ring never saw them again there was no way e ebay didn't have any system of dealing with that then i'm not even sure they would mm -hmm. have any system of dealing with that now so that massive eye-opener to the things people the lens people go to online to empty your pocket basically yeah that must have been a really horrible experience because yeah, that's something that you that was very valuable like the product i was selling was you know it was i think it was about 50 pounds so that's what 75 80 dollars ish yeah. but to have something of high value uh go walk about and not have the money i mean that must have been devastating yeah well we've had the um the, the delivery slip and the address and everything so i still got them somewhere for posterity i suppose because there's no way anything's going to happen logged a um scam thing with who, who was it was it i don't think it was the fbi because that would have been it might have been the fbi or it might have been interpol i can't remember but that, that we did everything that we could which is almost next to nothing basically um so yeah mm. that, that 500 pounds gone and some some Italian scam artist um, pocketed it and uh, I don't know, maybe went towards drugs or people trafficking. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's, um, yeah, it's, it's an example. It's not necessarily going to happen to you as there are scams on eBay that uh, persist. We've got a list of 10 scams on eBay actually on make use of at the moment. And um, I wonder if it's worth quickly just summarizing them. There, there are various things. Um, the seller might ship something with an incorrect name, for example. So then uh, the, the post office says that does, person doesn't live there and it goes back to them, for example. That's not mm -hmm. a nice thing to do, is it? But uh, they might sell you an empty box. Again, not a very nice thing to do. Or the seller might just simply run off with your money because there's certain things that the eBay money back guarantee doesn't protect you for. Um, check the uh, show notes for the uh, full explanation of eBay scans to be aware of both as a buyer and as a seller. Uh, we're uh, running out of time on this week's really useful podcast. Do you think there's anything we can add to what we've discussed so far, James? Um, more generically about online shopping, I would say that the biggest thing is that it's very easy to find products that you think you like um, because you can see the whole world's worth of products. Whereas before, you know, you'd be limited by, you know, you have to go to your local shopping center and maybe you walk into Best Buy and then you see the five headphones that they've decided that they're going to show you. So now you can see everything and it makes you go, oh, I'd love to have that product. And you very quickly go, oh, okay, I can buy it. And the, the whole purpose of online shopping is to be frictionless. It's meant, mm -hmm. it's designed to be quick. So like on Amazon, once you've stored your um, payment details, it takes two clicks and you've purchased the product and it'll be there, especially if you've got Prime, it'll be there the next day. I mean, how easy is that? But it also makes it easy to buy things you wouldn't necessarily have wanted. Yeah. So I think it's always worth making sure that reviews or otherwise, be sure that you actually want the product. Take time to think about what it is that you're after, the experience that you want from having purchased that product, how it's going to fit into your life. What are you expecting it to be able to do? Is it worth the money? Because quite often people equate cheap to value for money, but that's not quite the same thing. You know, you could have a cheap product, but if it breaks after three months, whereas if you'd spent double the price and it will last four years, for example, it's obviously better value for money. Um, there was 
my favorite example of this is I used to work in a department store in the UK uh, when I was in university and I worked in the small electrical department so I was selling things like fridges freezers you know washing machines that kind of thing and there's a premium brand called Miele and they are expensive I won't deny that it's a very expensive product but they offer a 10-year warranty and their estimated average lifetime was usually somewhere in the region of 10 to 15 years so you're paying probably a thousand pounds say for a washing machine it lasts 10 years so that's 100 pounds per year Mm -hmm. now if you pay 500 pounds for one that lasts only two years then obviously it's 250 pounds a year so the initial outlay is more expensive and that's not always possible for everyone you know sometimes you don't have the capital to pay up front for a higher cost but if you can then I would always recommend thinking about the longevity of a product before you purchase it, because that's how you get good value for money as opposed to just being cheap. That's great advice from James through there. Uh, so we've been discussing how to buy reliably and safely and confidently online in this week's really useful podcast. We are the tech podcast for technophobes. We're here to give you advice and help with technology. We've got a whole archive of other shows on other topics for you to check out wherever you find your podcasts. Until next time, it's goodbye from me, Christian Corley, and it's goodbye from James Frew.